So this morning we're going to continue on the series which was started last week about um, one another and how we work to, how we community together and how we interact with each other and how we um, just have relationships with each other. And this morning we're going to look at a passage from Galatians chapter 5. So if you would just want to turn to that in Galatians chapter 5. I don't know how many of you here are boxing fans or how many of you are old enough to remember back in the day when Mike Tyson was fighting Evander Holyfield and he decided he was hungry and took a chunk out of his ear. So just imagine this morning if I walk up to you and instead of saying good morning to you, I bite you on the arm and take a chunk out of it. That's a lovely way to greet people, isn't it? I think I know what the reaction probably would be. I'd probably get my lights punched out. You'd probably end up calling the police and never talk to me again. Certainly not something which is socially or morally acceptable to go around biting people. And yet Paul in this passage that we're going to read gives us a warning that we can easily do the same thing spiritually to one another. So let's read from... Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit... And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other and keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. How easy is it to criticise other people? You know, a simple put down here. Find something like, What happened to you? Did you get dressed in the dark this morning? (laughs) Think of how easily kids do it to each other. Any of you who have got kids know what it's like. Just slowly chipping away, making little smart comments, snide remarks, you know, you're stupid, you're an idiot. I've probably lost count of how many times my kids have said that to each other. You know, in the culture we have in Australia and New Zealand 
we have this culture, especially amongst blokes, that we like to take the mickey out of each other. But we're not talking about something like that. What we're talking about here is a mean, nasty, critical spirit. Just a bit of background about what was happening in this church in Galatia when Paul wrote this letter. Um, there was an argument, it seems, between different groups about whether the circumcision was right or not. And it seemed as though this debate about doctrine had turned Christians against each other rather than treating each other with love as Paul summed up the law in verse 14. But rather they were arguing about who was right and who was wrong and they were getting really angry and antsy with each other and starting to attack each other. And basically what Paul's saying here is watch out because you guys are ruining friendships. You're splitting up families and you're going to end up destroying the church. You're going to take everything, all the good things that God has done, all the freedoms that he's given you, and you're going to destroy them because you're not loving one another. You're biting and devouring each other basically like a bunch of cannibals. You're fighting, you're arguing, you're feasting on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Most of the issues that we end up having between Christians is because we major on things that are relatively minor. We end up getting stuck on these little things and make them the most important things rather than our relationship with Christ and with each other. I remember hearing a story back when I was a kid about a church that um, actually ended up splitting splitting up over what type of hymn book they should be using. One group wanted this one, one wanted the other. It got that bad that the church ended up dividing. You know, just majoring on something that's not important. Or we take doctrinal things, small doctrinal things, and make those the most important things. And if other people don't agree with our position, then we put them down and we think, well, they don't know what they're talking about and we devalue them rather than loving one another and saying, well, we can have differences of opinions And these things don't matter, really. We can say this morning, well, we don't have any issues with doctrinal things. People are free to hold their beliefs on certain matters. I'm I'm not going to argue with them about it. But let's bring this into everyday life. How often do we say mean things to other people just to tear them down? Cutting remarks that slice deep to the bone. Or sometimes... It's just small remarks that we make over and over and over which slowly eat away at the other person, just like termites. I remember going to a job one time and they said, oh, we've had termites in this place. And you look at the door frame, the moulding around the door, and it all looks perfect until you go and touch it with your finger and there's nothing in underneath. There's just a skin of paint around where the timber used to be. And that's what can happen if we slowly just make smaller, small remarks over and over, cutting into people. We can slowly eat away at the inside to where there's just a shell left and to where we end up, we end up basically devouring the person inside. And it's very easy to do. Honestly, I think this is where many of us find ourselves time and time again because it's our sin nature and it's just natural. We tend to look for what's wrong, well I know I do, before we find what's right, even 
if it's right in front of our face. The psalmist in Psalm 52 and verse 2 said, Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. And it's easy to do it. It's natural to tear down. James gives a whole section in his book about the tongue and about the power of the tongue and and what the tongue can do. And when we do it, we actually become a lot like the Pharisees. And if you want to turn to John chapter 8, we're just going to look at a verse there. What Jesus had some very strong words to say to the Pharisees. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, he says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the Pharisees have become like their father, the devil, who was known as the deceiver, the devourer, the prince of darkness and the father of lies. He was also called the accuser, the one who accuses the people of people before God day and night. And it's easy for us to fall into that trap of using our tongue against other people. The question comes, why do we actually do this? Why do we think we have to attack people? Why do we bite them and devour them and say things against other people? Well, I think there's three reasons that I can see that comes from the nature of our flesh. And the first one is that we're full of pride. I don't know about you, but I've got no problems with pride. I'm not proud at all. Yeah, we end up saying, I know best and you know nothing, basically. I've got all the knowledge, I'm wise, and you know nothing. And that's something that I'm sure all of us, if we really admit it, deep down in our hearts, we like to think we know everything. The second one is sometimes it's just because we're insecure. We want to tear down other people to elevate ourselves because we see somebody as being better than us or more powerful. So we think, well, if I cut them down, then they'll come down to my level and we'll be right. (coughs) And sometimes it's just from the simple fact that we don't understand what's going on in other people's lives. I know for myself, you know, you criticise parents before you have children. You see parents are going through a shopping centre and this child's having a tantrum because they want, they want a lolly or they want this or want that. You think, surely you can just control your child, can't you? And just tell them no. Until you have children of your own and then realise you can't actually negotiate with a terrorist. <laughs> Mine are... What are they now? They're just having birthdays. 13 and coming up 15. And it's still a nightmare going to the shops. They still want this and want that. But it's very easy to criticise other people when you don't know what's going on in their lives and what situation they're in. I wonder how many of us could honestly say that we've met a critical, judgmental and bitter person that you want to be like. Someone who every time you've met them were biting, devouring, tearing down and just being plain mean-spirited. 
I don't think I have. And nor do I want to eat of its fruit, what comes from it. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Do we actually realise the power that our words have? That our, power, that our tongue has the power to speak life into people's lives, words of life, or actually to bring death by our words. <clears throat> I come across a couple of interesting verses while I was studying the subject. First one's in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19. It says, It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. And secretly inside, all the husbands said, Amen. <laughs> Somebody who's complaining about everything. Complaining about everything that's going on and everything that you do. Saying things like, you know, why can't you get it right? Why can't you get every, anything right? How many times people say that to their children? Why are you so stupid? Why can't you just sort it out? And before all us blokes get a bit smug, a couple of chapters later, there's a verse for us in chapter 26 and verse 21. As charcoals to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Just as a fire goes out without feeding it, many conflicts disappear when there's no one going around perpetuating the strife, biting and devouring and destroying one another. How many people does it take to have a fight, have an argument? Normally it takes two, but it takes one person to start it usually too. It's something I have trouble with my kids, you know. One of them starts a fight and starts an argument, the other one keeps it going. And you say, why don't you just be quiet and not say anything back? They still haven't figured that one out yet. But the spirit that comes out that says, I want to be right, I want to have the last word, I'm the most important person, is what causes most of the strife and most of the arguments. And so I want you to ask you to be honest. Those of you who maybe like me have battled with a critical spirit, wanting to criticise other people. Do you want to be someone who tears down or someone who builds others up? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Basically it's saying here, don't let any foolish talk, any stupid talk come out of your mouths. The words that we say should be only words that would be building up other people. And I know myself, probably most of the time when I get myself in trouble for what I say, it's because I don't think before I say. I just talk. And then afterwards I go, what on earth did you say that for? Will you regret what you've said. The Bible tells us that we should be slow to speak, 
And maybe that would solve a lot of our problems if we were slower to speak. And if we thought about the other person, I thought, what effect are the words that I'm saying going to have on this person? Is it something that's going to build them up or is it something that's going to tear them down? What is our problem that we keep doing these things? Why do we keep over and over doing these things that we shouldn't do? A simple answer, Paul said in um, verses 16 and 17, it's because of our flesh. Because of the sinful nature that we have all inherited, that's what causes us the problem. But Paul gives us the antidote for the flesh. And it is, walk in the spirit and we will not fulfil the desires of the flesh. Now there's a battle going on inside us. There's a constant battle between our sinful nature and the spirit that indwells us. And this battle is the thing that stops us from doing many of the things that we know we should. And that's what Paul said in verse 17, that these things are opposed to each other. It's like they're tearing us in two different directions. And Paul had this ongoing battle, didn't he? That he said, you know, the things he wanted to do, I always get confused trying to quote this one, the things that he wanted to do he couldn't, wouldn't do and the things that he didn't want to do he kept doing them and it's like he's caught in this endless circle this trap that he's just going round and round in circles and seems to get nowhere and the flesh is pulling against the desires of the spirit that's in us that makes us want to do the right things but the flesh pulls us back and we keep doing the things that we don't want to do you know I have battles with this in a lot of areas of my life I say you know I know I should pray more and I know I should read the Bible more, but why is it so hard to do? Why do we get so busy with our lives? And I thought about the words that Jesus said to his disciples in the garden, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the more we allow the spirit to take over in our lives, the more our flesh nature takes a back seat. Now if we look at the list that we had here in the end of this chapter of the works of the flesh to me all of these all of these things in this list here seem to be self-centered they seem to be things that we do because they feel good to us or we get something out of it and the moment we become self-centered what happens the moment we become self-centered we look in on ourselves and we turn away from other people and everything becomes about me. That's what you know, culture would tell us today. It's all about us. It's all about what makes you feel good. It's all about what you can get out of it. And don't worry about other people. I must be the number one person. Everyone else is someone I can tear down and climb over to get what I want to get where I want to be. I'm sure we all know people who are like that, especially when you get to work situations. Somebody who's prepared to stab you in the back just so they can get to a higher position. But then if you look on the other hand at the fruit of the spirit, to me everything appears to be outward to other people. Sure, you can you know, do all these things for yourself, But the ultimate manifestation of these 
are outwards. To show love, then joy flows and peace with others as opposed to warfare with one another. And I think the next five, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, they show us what our interactions should be with one another. That's the way we should interact with each other rather than being impatient. I'll get back to my kids how often I get impatient with them when they won't hurry up and get going or they won't get off technology, which is probably the biggest battle we have these days, but that's another story. But how often we don't show these fruits because we want it all to be about us. Whereas if we have these fruits of the Spirit in our interactions with each other, then we're not going to be tearing others down because we're going to be trying to do what's best for them. And I think maybe the last one, the (coughs) self-control, gives us the overall thought of being in control of all our emotions, but especially our tongue. What happens when the flesh takes over? We look at other people and we get proud that we are better than them. We provoke them because we're insecure. This is in verse 26. Or we envy them and try to tear them down. What Paul says here, if we belong to Christ, we've said that we're done with the flesh. We're done with our sinful nature. And in verse 25, I want to live in the power of the Spirit. So if we live in the Spirit... Paul says that we're to keep in step with the Spirit. Walk alongside. It gives us a thought, walking in step, we're walking alongside. Let the Spirit be our companion. Let the Spirit walk alongside us and guide us in the way that we should interact with each other and the way that we should live. And what comes out of our mouth proves where our heart is. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouth shows what's in our heart, shows what we're really feeling. And if we're constantly biting and devouring and tearing down one another then where is our heart? Our heart is basically showing that we have sin inside us, that we're harbouring evil and we're harbouring hate. And I think deep down it just means that we're just being plain selfish and we're not caring for one another. You know, Jesus, when he was here on the earth, he was always building up. He was opening doors that no one could shut. And whenever someone would sin... The Pharisees would point and they would blame and they would accuse. But Jesus would come and encourage those who had been kept in captivity to walk away from the bondage of sin. He didn't come to accuse and say, you know, you're a terrible person, I don't want to have anything to do with you. He came to encourage people to turn away from sin, but he was always trying to build them up to the point where they would follow him to where they would leave their life of sin and want to follow him. 
In John chapter, chapter 8, there was the story of the woman who was caught in adultery, if you remember that one. And, Jesus, and the Pharisees pointed to the law, pointing out everything that was wrong, that she'd done everything wrong, and that they should stone her. What did Jesus do? He didn't say anything. He knelt down, began to write in the ground with his finger, and some people have said maybe most likely writing down the sins of the accusers, because one by one they each walked away. And then in John, in chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus stopped, straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. Then neither do I can condemn you. Jesus said, go now and leave your life of sin. Where are your accusers? Where are those who tried to condemn you? That's what the Pharisees were. They, that's what the devil, our spiritual enemy, he's an accuser. But Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He's our living hope. Jesus could have easily said to that woman, you're a terrible sinner. You've done all these things. There's no hope for you. You're a useless person. But Jesus didn't turn around and say all those things. He said, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. Go and live a better way. I think that gives us a lesson that when we talk to one another, when we see sin and wrongdoing in each other's life, we don't do it in a way that condemns and in a way that tears down, but we do it in a way that encourages people to turn from their sinful ways and turn back to Jesus, turn back to this, the one who can give life and can give freedom from that sin. So I think today, let's determine to follow him and to build others up and to not destroy and tear one another down. See, I don't know that we have an idea how God can use one simple word of encouragement to change a life. <clears throat> or when you speak blessing into the lives of others, how God can use that to build other people up. The words of Proverbs chapter 15 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. We can use our tongue in one of two ways, to tear down, to bite and devour, or we can use, use it to build one another up. God can use our words to build someone up because we have the words of life. You see, because of what God has done, we won't tear down, but we're going to build up. We're going to point people to Jesus, our living hope. We're going to point people to Jesus, the one who forgives sins. We're going to speak words of hope, words of healing, and words of life. As Jesus said, who are you going to turn to? Do you have the words of eternal life?